Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. So we're going to jump into our series. We're doing a series called Welcome Home, and we're hanging our hat on the fact that uh, Jesus seemed to have a favorite house, seemed to have a place he hung out. There was a place he went back to several times. It was a place of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and so they hung out there quite a bit. So we've been talking about that whole thing in Luke 10, 38. We're going to read more from there in a minute, but it says, now it happened. It says, as they went, they entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. He welcomed him into her house. So right there, we see that whole aspect that we want to welcome him in. We want to welcome him into the house. John 11:3, 3, uh, it says, Lord, behold, he whom you love, he whom you love is sick. And that was Mary and Martha wrote a note to Jesus, said, Jesus, you got to come quick. And they didn't say, come because we love you. They said, come because you love us. Come because you love Lazarus. Come because the one that you love is not well. So we see that we know clearly through the scripture that Jesus loved this family. He loved this house. He loved this place. It was somewhere he wanted to dwell. So we want to manifest that house. We want to demonstrate that house. We want to manifest that place where Jesus is pleased to dwell. And it's a place where his presence and the culture of heaven is clearly manifest. Amen. So right here, you got this picture. I was driving in a few weeks back, and aren't you glad the snow's gone? Well, that was just a few weeks ago, and the snow's gone, praise Jesus. But as I was pulling in, 7 o'clock in the morning, getting here, just getting ready to speak, and I saw that sign, it shot up right in front while I was turning the corner, it said, God loves you. And I went, you know what, I hope that's true. And I mean, I know it's true, but I hope that place right there, it says, Impact Church, God loves you. I hope that when people walk in through these doors, that's what they get, that they get a manifestation of the love of God, the goodness of God. And so we really want that to be clear. We want them to come into a community where we don't just say God loves you, but they experience that. Because really, the, the great aspect of, of faith and Christianity is the community. Like, like I said a few weeks back, like I got my wife a really beautiful diamond, a great big one, my goodness. But you know what? When you get it, you want to put it in a setting that will best manifest that diamond. You want to show it off. And you know what? God's goodness, God's life, he has settled it. He has established it. He has set it in the church. He set it in his body. And we are the revelation and the demonstration of the goodness of God. So people should come in the house of God. They should feel a great big welcome home and they should experience all the good things that God has in store for his people. Thank you. That was good. I was just about to say amen. Amen. Good, good, good. All right, so first thing we talked about was the culture of love. And that's really important, really. If nothing else, it should be love. And love should be the, the thing that marks the people of God. It said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And that love is sacrificially ascribing infinite worth to other people. Sacrificially. I mean, it's not just, not just your love, but to sacrificially put other people ahead of yourself. Sacrificially saying that other people are significant and have incredible value. That's the kind of love that people should experience when they come into the house of God. So people should come in contact with his love. And there's no way you can give that kind of love if you haven't received that kind of love. 
The only way you can give that kind of love is, first of all, you must be someone who has received the love of God. Amen? So there's a culture then also of formation. We had Pastor Fanu here, and it was good. But he talked about the fact that, you know, in Mark 1.17, and then he followed through several chapters, and he showed that Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you. Follow me, and I will make you. And then he modeled for them all the things that, that somebody who followed him, a follower of Christ, looks like this. This is the life that is formed when you spend time with Jesus. In the, in the Acts, it says we knew that these people had been with Jesus. And when you're with Jesus, there's a culture of formation. Something happens where you're not, you're, we're not a church where we hope Jesus is here. We're a church that knows that we now embody that same anointing. We embody that life. And what Jesus did, we do. Jesus said, that's the whole thing. As I was sent, I send you. So we become a people not saying, Jesus, please help us. But we become the living, breathing, incarnate manifestation of all that Christ was. And if you run into me, you get what Jesus was. That's why it says they called them Christians for the first time in Antioch. And the word Christian means little Christ. I mean, they look just like him. So we should look just like Jesus. I mean, if you go to McDonald's, you get a Big Mac. It's the same. I've, I've had them in Hong Kong. I've had them in all kinds of places in the world. But wherever you go, a Big Mac is a Big Mac. So if you run into a believer, you should experience Jesus. You should experience the same manifestation, the same nature, the same life, the same demonstration that Jesus had because he said, if you follow me, I will make you. And we'll get that same expression and manifestation. Phew, I thought I saw a vision. All right. Next thing we talked about, Zach talked about last week, the culture of acceptance. That was so good. And we want people to know that they're accepted, don't you? And that, that's, a, that's a vital felt need that everybody has. I love that. Maslow is his hierarchy of needs. You know, before you can get into, I got a purpose, I got a destiny. You can't even think about that until you know you belong and you know that you're accepted and you know that you're loved and you know that you're safe. Sometimes as a church, we preach, you got a destiny, you got a purpose, and people just want to belong. People just want to be accepted. People just want to say, well, that's amazing. I just want a hug. I just want to be loved. I just want to be accepted. I just want to be thought of as, as significant. Tell me I'm real. Tell me that I matter. And then before you can even step into, I got a destiny, I'm awesome, you got to feel that acceptance. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. So our acceptance has to be absolute. Our acceptance has to be without condition. We've got to accept people. And you know, accepting people absolutely doesn't mean that their behavior is something that you agree with. But you know what? Skip the behavior. We accept you as a person. Too often we say, oh, you're going to be in my club. You know, you got to look a certain way, smell a certain way, believe a certain thing. But that's not us. And Zach reemphasized to us that with us is belong, believe, behave. It's belong, believe, behave. Well, that's not kingdom, pastor. Yes, it is, because you were born from above, which means before you could even have belief, before you could even express the faith of God, you had an encounter with him where he said, you're accepted, you belong. And belong always happens first. And then when you get that belong, you can believe. And you know what? Behave is somewhere down the road. Too often the church has said, behave right, and you can come to the house of God. That's not the way it is. And you know, the world got that message, and where did they get it from? They got it from us. 
You know, we're, we're behavior people. We, we, we're going to monitor your behavior. We're going to judge whether you're good or not or not. And then once you get in here, you know, we're going to keep an eye on you and make sure that, you know, you're, you're doing what you need to do. But you know what it is? Belong, believe, behave. It's not behave, believe, belong. So we are a culture of acceptance. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are a culture of acceptance. Amen. That's good right there. All right, so we got to move on. We're going to do more today. We're going to talk about a culture of authenticity. A culture of authenticity. Authenticity. It's real. It's, it's authentic. It's, it's got integrity. I mean, it's, it's what you expect to see. It is the real thing. You're going to see a manifestation of what you believe. It is genuine. So Luke chapter 10, 38, going to look at that again. I'm going to read the whole thing. You just got one verse up there. But it says, now it happened as they went and entered a certain village, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had her sister Mary. Uh, she also sat there at Jesus' feet. Now listen, she sat at Jesus' feet and she heard his words. So she sat at Jesus' feet and heard her words, which means Jesus came into the house, he sat down there with a group of people, and Jesus began to teach. And Mary decided, I want to be at his feet, I want to hear what he's got to say. Everywhere in the Bible, you'll see that Mary had one place, it was at his feet. She's breaking perfume over his feet, she's listening to teaching at his feet. When Lazarus needed to be raised from the dead, there was Mary when Jesus got there she threw herself at his feet everywhere you see mary you see her with one posture she is at his feet and here he is teaching and it says and mary took that place not a place of honor not in the best chair in the house but she took a place at the feet of jesus so she sat there and she heard his word but martha martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, I mean, you can see this. We're in the house. That had to be a pretty decent house. I mean, because she was always throwing parties. You see in John 12 that we read earlier, Martha was serving there. So serving isn't wrong because Martha was serving food and all the disciples were there and Martha was welcomed them in, loved to serve. But on this occasion, here she is and she's serving. And as she's serving, while Jesus is teaching, she's preparing some food, and which is great. But then she looks in and she's so disturbed that her sister is just sitting there at Jesus' feet. And she's just annoyed by this because here I am working. And then, I mean, she gets so moved that she actually walks in and excuse me, everybody, excuse me. Jesus, can you tell her to get off her butt and give me a hand here? That's what went on. So Jesus responded. He turned to her. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me alone here to serve? Therefore, tell her to help me. Isn't that great, eh? So good, huh? I mean, you're busy serving Jesus, hallelujah. You look at your brothers and sisters and, you know, I don't know what they're doing. They're just doing something that I'm not doing. Therefore, they need to be rebuked. Amen? Tell them to get with the program. But Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. You got to know there's a problem. When I hear my wife say, Carl, Carl. I know it's, it's, there's something attached to that. There's a reason. There's, there's something I forgot I didn't do. I go, did she tell me to empty the dishwasher? What did I do? What did I forget? I know, Carl, Carl! I'm like, <laughs> you know, Jesus said, Simon, Simon! He said, Saul, Saul! Whenever he repeated a name twice, it's because there's going to be some straightening out. There's going to be some correction. There's going to be some wisdom. going to be some revelation to follow. So he's like, Martha, Martha! Martha, Martha! So here it is. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. 
You are worried and troubled about many things. So, you know, I'd read this. I'd read, you know, other preachers and uh, commentaries and other theologians. They write about this and they talk about you need to be serving and you need to be at his feet. There has to be that place of intimacy, you know, but the service and those things, they have to happen. We all need a little bit of Mary and we need a little bit of Martha. But I don't think that's at all what this story is about. Because Martha was serving other times and it was totally fine. She wasn't upset. She wasn't mad. She was serving and she loved to serve. The problem wasn't that Mary wasn't helping. The problem was right here. It says, Martha, you are worried and you are troubled about many things. You're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. So let's pop back to chapter 9 and look at one verse in chapter 9 just to kind of help us with the context because this didn't happen in a vacuum. This wasn't some isolated, incidental little meal. This is a group of people moving together in a real historical time, in a real place with real things happening in their culture, real things going on. There's Roman rulership. There's there's all kinds of different political and religious structures and things. There's a lot going on in their world, and Martha is really anxious about it all. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I know. Jesus said in 951 of Luke, he said, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. What does that mean? It's the time for him to go to the cross. It's the time for him to be received up. It's the time for him to fulfill now that head-on collision with the kingdom of darkness. Right now, Jesus had avoided Jerusalem for a season because it was messy back there. Every time he went back there, it was violent. There were lots of fights, lots of things going on. So he'd avoided that place for a while. But now it was time to go. So he went head on. He went full on. And he said, now it is time. It says he set his face. One translation said he set his face like a flint. He set his face on purpose. And he said, now is time. Nothing will distract me. I'm going to go fulfill the purpose of God. I'm going to confront the kingdom of darkness. And we're going to get this thing done once and for all. So he knew everything that it entailed. He knew the hardship. He knew the difficulty. He knew what was going on. But so did his friends. So did the community around him. When he said he was going, his disciples said, you know, we should be careful. You know, there's problems there. And Thomas, the faithful disciple, hallelujah, he said, let us go with him that we might die with him there. Because he was courageous. He was a man of courage and boldness. Thomas. We know, we know that, what do you think's going on with these people? They know that we are about to engage in struggle. Two miles from Jerusalem is Bethany where these people live. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they had been known as people who when Jesus came, they took him in. They totally received him. They embraced this new teacher and his new teaching. They might have lost friends. They might have had incredible conflict. People might have written them off. I can't believe that you're going after this crazy Nazarene. And yet she knew right now all the things going on. And she knew that because her, her brother who was raised from the dead, she knew that they're plotting to kill Jesus. They're plotting now to even kill my brother who Jesus raised from the dead. There's a lot of things going on in my Martha's mind, and she's troubled, and she's worried about a lot of things. This isn't about serving or sitting at his feet. This is a woman who's in a full-on crisis because the things that are confronting her have her totally torn up in every way. So that's what's going on. Here she is. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and you are troubled about many things. Let me pop to a a verse you might think strange, but here it is. You ready? My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when the Lord corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes, or as the King James Version says, he scourgeth each one he accepts as a child. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his word. They have to understand that word scourgeth. That word was used seven times in the New Testament. And that word was always about unjust people afflicting something on a just person. So here we have, isn't that wonderful? My child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline because he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Say he loves me. And then it says he scourgeth each one he accepts as a child. The word scourgeth means to beat within an inch of your life. It literally means to give 40 minus one lashes. That's the word that was used when it says the Romans scourged Jesus. So thank you, Lord. I totally embrace my relationship with you. I'm going to be your child and bring on the beatings. Hallelujah. It's there, Pastor. We can't ignore it. We can't deny it. It's there. It says that he, when he's going to come and correct us, he's going to scourge us. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but when I read things like that, and then I read other areas of the Bible where it talks about his goodness, his kindness, that when you see Jesus, you see the Father, you see how he dealt with everybody and how he did things, you kind of go, I don't think I ever saw Jesus actually take somebody, tie them to a post, and beat them with 39 lashes. And yet, if I'm a total screw-up, I should expect that because he loves me and because he accepts me, there's probably a few beatings in store. Just for me, because I'm not quite perfect. Just for me, because I struggle once in a while. I know you guys are doing great. But I don't know about you, but that verse makes me a little fearful about this relationship. So I highlighted at the bottom, when you're reading your Bible, you should read your whole Bible. Say my whole Bible. And your whole Bible means you should read the index. You should read all the stuff at the start, all those things. And you should figure out why are those little letters there. Don't read over the little letters, because that's a part of the text. So if you read over the little letters, you want to know, what is that little F in those brackets for? How many said, what's that little purple F? What is that all about? And I tell you, when I see something that says punishes and scourges, I want to see what else is in the text. So if you check it out, here's what you'll find out. The F tells you to go here, right here. The F says go to Proverbs. So you go to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, because in that passage in Hebrews, he said, as the scriptures say, as the Lord has taught us, and then he refers to a passage of scripture, and he goes back to, and here's the passage. Here it is, the whole thing. He says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves, just as the father corrects a child in whom he delights. Tell me, where is scourging in there? Go back, you can look at the Hebrew, you can look at all of it. It's even in the Greek Septuagint. Somewhere in the Greek Septuagint, which is a, a translation into Greek, it's a version of the Old Testament that was done in Greek. Somewhere in there, they slipped in words that have a few different meanings. And somewhere, with people who interpreted the Bible years and years ago, back in the 1500s, when they used to put you on the rack and put you in torture chambers and stuff, they decided that the nature of God might possibly be, he might possibly be just like us. And if we really ticked him off, he might wrap us to a post and beat us within an inch of our lives. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the reading of the word. You see, when I go back to this, how did that get messed up in translation? You know, there's a lot of preachers that they'll jump on that. They'll preach Hebrews and say, so you better get to the altar, you terrible people. You know you could be better. You know you could be living better right now. I tell you, feel mad, feel sorry. I mean, you're, you're right now. The eyes of the Lord are looking at you. He loves you and those he loves, he punishes. How many have heard that before? 
Just me? Okay. See, it makes babies cry. It's rough stuff, right? But that's what all that, that little stuff says right there. So, so interesting stuff. So how does that get missed in translation? Andrew, I'm not a linguist, so I, I, I don't. I can, I can click buttons and I can pull open, you know, lexicons and different things and I can look at meanings of word. But Andrew Farley, more of a, more of a, a linguist, he has a book called God Without Religion. And on page 234, he says this. He says, this a Hebrew word can be translated discourage, can also be translated as to inquire into. In other words, God doesn't scourge us. Rather, this is his paraphrase, that God deeply inquires into our lives and he disciplines us so that we can experience a harvest of righteousness and peace. I don't know about you, but I read that and went, that sounds a little more like the nature of Jesus. But listen now, he does inquire deeply into your life and he does come and he will have clear specific times when he's going to pull you aside and say, Carl, Carl, we got to talk. And sometimes people, they think the grace message just goes way too far and you, all you ever talk about is the goodness of God. And if you keep on doing that, people are just going to go sin and not even care about it. If that's what you do, then you've really never heard the grace message. Because the grace message doesn't give you freedom to say, I can do whatever I want now because God loves me. Because God loves me, I am free to serve him. Because God loves me, I am free to honor him. And because he's put his spirit on me and written his law in my heart, it's not some external thing that I have to do. It's something in my heart that I'm passionate about and I'm passionate to do because I love the gracious kindness of God and what he's had towards me. Wow, pastor, that was pretty heavy stuff, eh? But look, he disciplines us so we can experience a harvest of righteousness. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of God? Now, he's talking about you're judging other people and you're, you're judging whether this one's in or that one's in. He says, look, do you despise the riches of God's goodness, his forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Look, you don't want the goodness of God for other people. I mean, come on, it's his goodness that helped you. Don't go judging other people. It's the goodness of God that has caused transformation in your life. Don't go judging who can get it and who can't. That's not up to you. But he says, look, he says, do you not know it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? Repentance, change, transformation, the evidence of him working in your life comes out of a revelation of the kindness of God. Let me give you another translation, same verse. Do you not see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does he does this? He, does this mean nothing to you that he's wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Sin. Preached on sin a few weeks back. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. What's the mark? The mark is the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is having a proper understanding and a revelation of your value and God's value and how valuable you are to God and how valuable he is to you. And if you don't understand who you are in him and your value to him, you're going to miss the mark and you're going to fall short of that because you don't understand who you are. And because of that, you'll start living out of your own experience and trying to be what you want to be through your efforts and through your work instead of just surrendering to God and his love for you. So when you don't know it, boy, kindness is intended to turn you from sin. Kindness. It's God's kindness that literally is being used to help you turn a corner and get away from the things that are hindering you from manifesting all that God wants for you. Amen? How many have ever thought, I might have a couple things in my life that are keeping me from God's very best in my life? 
You know, when that happens, God himself comes and he's very kind and he helps us and he speaks to us and it's his gracious approaches and kind words that instructs us and brings us to a place where we overcome those things that have been difficult for us. Let me give you another verse, same verse, another translation, just because I thought this explains it just a little bit more. This is from the message in Romans 2.4 in the message. God is kind, but he's not soft. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into a radical life change. I really like that. Because there's some people who go, well, what does God do when we sin? Here's what he does. He takes us firmly by the hand and says, hey, over here for a second. Excuse me, everybody. Carl, Carl. What's going on? Why are you worried about so many things? Why, why are you distracted? What's going on? And he firmly grabs my hand, and he brings me to himself, and he realigns me with his purpose, and he frees me from the things that are hindering me manifesting his goodness. Amen. Amen. So I love it. Let me read it again. He takes us firmly by the hand, and he leads us into a radical life change. Amen. Look at Titus chapter 2, 11 to 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What is the grace of God that appeared? Jesus. Jesus is that grace. He is grace in truth. They say he's grace and truth. Literally could be translated. He is grace of truth. It's true that he's absolutely grace. It's true. So Jesus is grace, and it says he appeared to all. What teaches us? It's the goodness of God, that gracious act of giving his own son. That grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live in a soberly righteous and godly life in this present age. So what is the teacher? What is the instructor? What speaks to us to get us past these difficulties? And when we're in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong thoughts and the wrong processes, what teaches us? What gets us out of that dilemma? It's the grace and the kindness of God that he comes and says, Carl, Carl, yeah, grab me with a firm hand. Say, come over here. I want to see a fruit of righteousness. I want to see the fruit of my peace and my life and my strength in you. I got to take you aside. We're going to have a conversation. I don't cease being loved. I don't cease being accepted. In fact, it's wonderful that when you are loved and you are accepted, you should expect that you're going to have conversations with Jesus about what needs to change in your life. And then he's going to tell you that it's my power, it's my grace, it's focusing on the finished work of the cross that's going to bring that about in your life. Amen. So it's grace. What's going to teach people, Pastor? How are we going to get people from stop being evil, stop being sinners? I mean, stop it, stop it. How are we going to do it? The Word of God says it's grace that teaches people to embrace the transformation they so desperately desire. We don't need some more teachings about the rules, about the 10 ways to get over the 35 things. We just need to look at the cross, the author and finisher of my faith, Jesus, and the finished work. All right, here we go. Are you ready? All right. So what happens? What happens when we try to deal with life on our own? What happens? Because here you have Martha. Let's go back to Martha. You remember Martha? What's Martha doing? Martha has a bunch of people. She welcomes them into her house. Jesus sits down and begins to teach. Now, Jesus is sitting down teaching. He didn't walk in and say, hey, Martha, could you cook us one of those fabulous dinners? Could you do some? He came in the house, but Martha decided that I'm going to cook. Now, here's a terrible thing to be cooking meals that Jesus has never ordered. And there's a lot of people doing things that Jesus never asked for. And, you know, sometimes that is missing the mark. 
Now, why did Martha do this? Martha did this because Jesus came, but she couldn't even sit and listen to Jesus teach because whatever he was going to say was overwhelmed by the fact that she was terrified. She was fearful. Everything, many things going on right now, they have got me freaked out. So what she did was she fell back into her default mechanism. When I get freaked out, I cook. When I get freaked out, I make muffins. Jesus has come to teach. It's a real difficult time. I should probably be paying attention to what he has to say. Maybe what he has to say can help me. But instead of listening to Jesus, instead of falling at his feet, I've decided I'm going to bake a cake. Now you might think, what's the deal with that? I really think. You know, several weeks ago reading this, the Lord said, I want you to talk about Martha, Martha. So I wrote down Martha, Martha is one of the sermons I got to preach. But as I got into it, I realized that, you know, sometimes we have things that are comfortable to us that we go to when we're stressed and freaked out. We have ways of handling difficulty, worry, and anxiety. And when you deal with worry, anxiety, and pressures in your life, any other way outside of giving it to Jesus, casting all your care on him because he cares for you, when you decide that I'm going to take on myself the struggle, I'm going to take on myself this difficulty, I'm going to try and process this on my own, I'm going to use that thing, what am I going to do? What am I gonna, I'm going to bake. And then when you're baking, you know, you're, you're trying to get comfort out of your life, but you know what you've done? You've separated yourself from Jesus. Now, maybe with you, it's not baking. With me, it's not baking. With me, it's eating what was baked. You know, if I get freaked out and stressed out, I'm kind of like, is the Mandarin open yet? It's nine o'clock in the morning. Isn't it open yet? And I just had a few calls, frustrated, freaked out. I need a buffet. Because even if my mind is swirling and frustrated, at least my belly is full of food. And so I self-medicate by just, let's hit a buffet. Anybody for a buffet? Some people use other things. Some people, you know, they disappear into stuff and they, they're frustrated about stuff and they don't even realize that you've got a default in your life. You've got a track in your mind that everything, your pressures and your difficulties go to that really, really fast. And you don't realize that you're self-medicating and it may not seem like something evil because who ever heard of baking a cake being a sin? Baking a cake is a sin if it's how you're trying to process the nonsense that's confronting your life. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to hit the bar. Oh, my God. So you got pressures. you got difficulties. Life happens. What are you going to do when life happens? And it was really happening. Every one of those disciples knew that we are going to be in a full-on brawl right now with the religious system, the world system. We are in a full-on confrontation. They knew that they thought Jesus had come to set himself up as king, literally to set himself up as king. They really thought we're going to overthrow the kingdoms of this world right now. And they knew this could get messy. It could get bloody. And Martha was like, oh, I'm going to bake a cake. Now, folks, you may think that the way you process life, it's not so bad. But you know, when you're supposed to be doing the one thing, one thing is important. There's only one thing really important. And baking your cake, walking your dog, whatever you do in your life, it should come out of a clear, intimate revelation of Jesus in your life. Well, that's pretty heavy. It is pretty heavy. 
You know, I know a lot of people that something very, very simple has pulled them out of fellowship because they've medicated themselves. They've pursued how to deal with a process in their own life, their own way. And sometimes it's not even a bad thing, but it's the wrong thing. Pastor, well, look what happened. When you go to your default, look what happens. Everybody else is listening to Jesus teach. Maybe some important things for right now and where we are. But because she's more frustrated with what's going on, she decides to bake. And then what does the baking do? It puts distance between you and Jesus. Puts distance between you and Jesus. And here's what happens when you have distance between you and Jesus. Suddenly, you start looking at the behavior of other people. So she's got distance between her and Jesus, and then she's frustrated because, now look at my sister. I mean, look at her. I mean, she's just sitting there at Jesus' feet, coo, caw, coo. I mean, she should be helping me. Suddenly, you not only have a, a distance between you and Jesus, not only is your relationship with Jesus fractured, but now all your relationships get fractured. And then you think everybody else is your problem. Hello? Are you guys all still here? And then, here's what you should expect at that place. And here's what you should expect in the family of God. Here's what you should expect. You should expect that you're going to get a firm grasp by the hand. Hey, Carl, Carl! You're messed up right now. You shouldn't be baking cakes. Mary's chosen the one thing, it's the right thing. And where she is, you should be too. She's chosen the one thing and what she has won't be taken from her. Martha, your life is out of line. Martha, Martha, your life is out of line. You should expect that Jesus will take you firmly by the hand and he wants to lead you into radical change for your life. One more slide. A culture of authenticity won't let you frame your destiny with anything other than radical, life-changing presence of God. We can get involved in a lot of stuff that can be good, but you know what? Does it come from and does it flow out of your intimate relationship with God? Anything that you're doing does not come from, is not initiated from being at his feet. It doesn't have any eternal significance. Isn't this good? I hope so. You all got kind of quiet on me. I don't know what's going on. But sometimes it's hard because when you're in the middle of it, it's all pretty cloudy and pretty strange. And you can get so deep in it that your objectivity is gone, your ability to see is gone, your objectivity with the Lord is gone, your objectivity with other people is gone, and suddenly your whole world gets fractured because you have taken after a default in your life and decided that I'm going to self-medicate by doing this or I'm going to self-medicate by doing this. You've taken the transformation process that God wants to do in your life in your own hands and decided, I know better than him how I can work this out. But if you're anxious about anything, if you're worried about anything, if you have any concern in your life, the place you need to process it is at his feet. And he'll talk to you and he'll speak to you and sir, I know a lot of people who are wondering why they're not experiencing certain things or why isn't you know, God speaking to me. But you're pursuing a million other avenues to try to, to, to try to self-gratify or try to bring about in your life what you think God wants to do. 
And then it should be a sign to you if suddenly other relationships and other things get fractured and get weirded out. You should realize that maybe, I, and then there's sometimes you go like, things are difficult. I don't know what's tugging at me. I'm not sure what's pulling at me. I feel restrained. You know what? It's the firm grasp of Jesus on your life saying, come here. I want to help you. I want to kindly, lovingly pull you back into that proper flow and relationship with me where the radical transformation I desire, where the full fruit of righteousness and peace in your life can be manifest. Come back to my feet. Come on, stand up with me. Jesus. You know, a part of our culture is we don't judge each other, we're not critical of each other, but we do love each other. But you know, one other thing around here, it's not okay to not be okay. It's not. It's just not okay to not be okay. Because you know what? God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And if if you feel like you've somehow, if there's distance in your relationship with God, if there's distance with community, if there's distance with people you know you should love, if something's been creeping into your life and forcing you and putting a wedge in there, you got to know that this today is a firm grasp of the hand of Jesus saying, come here, come here. You're worried about a lot of things. You're fretting. You're, you've fallen into that default mechanism to try to make everything okay. You're trying to comfort yourself. Stop it. Come here. And you need to hear that today. You do. I mean, the Lord laid it on my heart in a big, big way. And he spoke to me. He said, Carl, don't try to get satisfied in other places. Trust me. Just come to my feet. Because when you do that, you, you separate yourself from me. I'll never separate myself from you, but, but you know, you're, you're, you're not hearing my voice anymore because you're busy tracking down your own road. Come to me. Welcome home. Now listen, maybe you're here today and you got invited in or you wandered in or took a wrong turn and thought it was a fitness club. Well, I don't know why you're here, but I want you to know this. Jesus does love you and that it is his family, and that you know what? He's done everything that needs to be done to have you in the family. It's already done. You're forgiven. You're totally set free. All you have to do is accept this, that you're loved and you're accepted. You're loved and you're accepted, and he'll be totally committed to you. You know, if you're here today and you've never made a commitment of your life to Christ, you never said, be my Lord, be my Savior, you can do that right now, and that's probably why you're here. And it's probably why your heart's going ba-boom, ba-boom, and you're going, what's going on? It's the hand of Jesus on your life saying, come on home. Come on home. Come on home. Now listen, if that's you, we're just going to have every eye closed and every head bowed. And there's nobody looking around. It's just you. It's just you and the Almighty. And he's saying, I love you. I want to bring you to myself. I want to bring into manifestation every beautiful thing that I desire for you. Come on home. Come on home. You're forgiven. You're healed. And you're free. Come on home. And if you've never done that, but you want to, I'm going to ask you today, just do one thing for me. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to go one, two, three. And at three, just put your hand up and say, yeah, pray for me, preacher. Pray for me today. And if that's you, we're going to do that right now. You ready? One, two, three. Just put your hand up really high. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else, put your hand up really high. High so I can see you. You can still do it right now. Thank you. Thank you. You're worried. You're troubled. Many things. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to get your hand on it. Stop running. Stop spinning. Come. Let him put his gentle, kind, firm grasp on your hand. 
and bring you into the radical change that you desire, the fulfillment that you desire to see. Let him bring it into expression in your life. Now listen, we're going to pray for that group, but listen, I can ask uh, all those that are working at the altar today, would you come forward if you're part of the ministry team at the altar today? Could you come right now at the front right now? Come on, go ahead. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I'm Martha today. I, I'm that person in the story. There's, I got my head all messed up with all kinds of stuff. Well, you've got an opportunity to get prayer today. If you realize that I've been, I've been trying to figure it out on my own. I've been, been using my own default system. I've been baking cakes that Jesus never ordered. And I wonder why I'm not getting results. Well, he's here today to touch you and to align you with his purpose. He's committed to his word, his purpose, his peace, his righteousness being fulfilled in your life. So listen, all, you know, the heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's just you. Listen, you've been fretting, you're worried, you're anxious. You need to let it go. And you can cast your care on him today. If that's you, just put up your hand and say, Pastor, I thank you. I got to let it go. Just put up your hand right now and say, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. It's good. You can put your hands down. Well, listen, we're going to pray now. We're going to pray. And you folks who put your hand up to accept Jesus, I want you to pray. But we're all going to pray so that you can hear your voice. So just lift up your voice right now. You ready? Everybody pray. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I believe that I am forgiven, that I am healed, and I am free. You said anyone who confesses you as Lord will be saved and so I receive you now as my Lord and as my Savior Holy Spirit come into my life and testify to me that I'm a child of God and that you're in my heart and I thank you for saving me in Jesus name Amen Amen well, I'm going to bless you, but the altars are open. If you need prayer for anything or you need ministry for anything, come today. If you heard your name, Martha, Martha, Fred, Fred, Ralph, Ralph, Greta, Greta, Frida, Frida. If you heard the Lord call your name, come, put it at his feet. Let him align things for you right now. So, Father, we just thank you for a beautiful thing we can do today is manifest that we are the family of God. And I thank you, Lord, that it's, it's a real deal. I mean, you have chosen to express yourself through community just like this. And we don't want to misrepresent you. We want to really represent that this is the Father's house. And Father, we do pray that you would uh, just work in us and continue to move in us, that we would manifest the very nature and the culture of who you are. Father, I pray for people today who, who've been, been going down those roads and they don't realize, but you know what? There is distance, and I can feel now there's distance between me and the purpose of God in my life. And they repent of that right now and just turn around in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I just bless right now this house. I thank you for each and every one. It's so great to have communion and baby dedications and do all the family stuff we get to do. Thank you for this beautiful house. Thank you for this beautiful family that you've blessed me with and in. And Father, I bless them now in Jesus' name. I pray for the love of the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the sweet, intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with each and every one now and always in Jesus' precious name. Amen.